everybody. Introducing something that some of you have already had a little bit of exposure to because of our closed group Facebook page and some of the uh, emails that I've sent to some of you folks who are not on Facebook. We're calling this initiative Sack Lunch Saints. And it's based on a very simple Bible story, but one that displays God's goodness and his power. We know that God can multiply small gifts that we give to him because he's a great big God. And we may feel that what we have to offer him doesn't really amount to much, but the Bible is filled with stories like the little lad and the loaves and fish to show us that whatever we do, if it's done with a cheerful heart and we're giving it freely to him, he'll use it. And he'll use it very often in ways that we could never have anticipated. So we're going to really ramp up our reach vision in a way that's going to be using technology and things that are literally at our fingertips. We've been, in a sense, inspired by the lockdown. So it's not the virus, the COVID virus that inspired us, but it's the result of having been locked down because of a virus <laughs> that we started looking for new ways to reach out and to continue propagating our reach vision. If you are on Facebook, and I know there are several who don't have Facebook accounts, and good for you, that's fine. Uh, we're going to be getting information out to all of you who don't have Facebook accounts or YouTube accounts, because there are ways for you to participate, and we're going to be able to help you do that. But for those of you who are on Facebook, if you type in that hashtag, hashtag SackLunchSaints, you will notice that it brings up everything associated with that hashtag. And I say that because I've been just learning this technology myself because I'm about 20 years behind. <laughs> and yet you'll see why in a couple of moments why the hashtag is so vital to our initiative. You can do the same thing if you have a YouTube account, you can type in Sack Lunch Saints with that little pound sign. And you might say, I thought that was a number sign. It is. It's a pound sign. It's a number sign. It's a hashtag. It's a versatile symbol. And if you'll do that, you'll see this crazy guy with a baseball cap and longer beard than he should have and crazy hair. Because some of the little daily after my morning walk devotionals to start whetting your appetite about what God is doing with this vision that he's giving us are on YouTube now. And they're on our YouTube channel for Living Water. So just to let you know, if you'll start looking at those things, we're going to be feeding additional information to you related to Sack Lunch Saints. Sack Lunch Saints, based on the feeding of the 5,000, it's in all four Gospels. There are slightly different details in each of those four Gospels, but we know for a fact that God multiplied a very simple, what amounts to us as a sack lunch. It was a kid's lunch. He sent the disciples out looking for food. They were tired. They wanted to send the crowd home. Jesus was tired. The people had been following him all the way around the lake. He'd been healing. He was exhausted. The disciples were exhausted. You notice what Jesus did not say in that situation. He didn't tell the 12 disciples, go look for the person who's the best dressed in the crowd. He's probably a wealthy merchant or maybe one of the members of the Sanhedrin. Make sure that they've got long tassels on their robes. Make sure that you find a wealthy one and ask if he would be willing to sponsor tonight's meal. Christ didn't do that. He said, divide the people up into groups of 50 and, of course, in groups of 100. So 50 and 100, that was another way of saying that there were 5,000 people there and they were all in groups of 50. 
And then he said, now just give me what you've got. And the one little lad doesn't give the kids age, but we do know it was a smaller boy who just had these five little barley loaves and two fish. And Jesus blessed it, broke it, started handing it out. It fed everybody. And there were baskets of full, baskets of full, baskets full of leftovers after they were done. Such good symbolism there. But what it shows us too is that God is a great big God and he'll use what we have to give it. It all started with a kid. I think it's important for us to know that Jesus didn't go looking for the wisest, most biblically knowledgeable scholar in the crowd. He took the kid's gift, and I think that's wonderful. Kids, this is directed to you, kids and youth. You can start an initiative that will reach all the way around the globe. I'm, con I'm totally convinced of that. I'm absolutely filled with faith that God is going to use you to help start this Stack Lunch Saints movement to spread hope all the way around the world. Here are some possibilities of things. Now, these are just a few little possibilities. I'm sure the list will grow over time. Uh, spoken word, that's kind of a, a, a little more contemporary version of spoken poetry. Sometimes it's done to music in the background. It can be very effective. I've seen some YouTube videos of spoken word that can be fantastic. Report on an activity that you saw that brings hope to other people. Maybe you can perform a dramatic skit with your friends and have that videotape. How about producing a brief documentary about hope was given to some people? Maybe it's a documentary about the way you actually participated in a hope-giving experience. Maybe you went to help restock the shelves at the Hope Clinic and you want to take a few photos and turn that into a brief documentary, something like that. Tell your own story. How did you find hope in Jesus? What things have you seen him do in your life recently that gave you hope? Everything that these things are doing should be tied to our reach vision. Recognize everyone and communicate hope. You can sing or play a song. I know we've got lots of musicians, some young musicians. Have your parents help you and record a song, and you can put that out there. You can do an interpretive dance. I probably won't be doing that, but I know we do have some dancers, and some of you are marvelous. You've been taking dance for years. This is a chance to shine. Maybe you can interpret a song that's very hope-oriented. Create a time-lapse painting or drawing. Uh, if you're Jeremy Moore and you're going to put on your little uh, wig, you could do some happy little trees for us. Maybe you can write and perform your own poem, whatever. But be creative. The, the point is everything should be tied to our reach vision and everything should communicate hope. And I think these things should be fairly brief because I noticed that as people are going through things when they're scrolling, they're willing to give you a few seconds of their time. But if you're doing a 30 minute presentation, probably not gonna look all the way through that. Now, here's the thing. We're gonna help you if you need help. Some of you don't have a Facebook account, that's okay. We've got a church outward facing public Facebook account. So if you'll prepare your little sack lunch sized participation, your contribution, We'll help you put it out through that if you'll allow us to. We also have our YouTube channel. We can put your YouTube uh, video right there for you. So we'll help you if you need help for that. We're making the most of our time, as I evidenced in one of my little after walk devotionals this week, making the most of our time because the days are evil. All you have to do is scroll through social media and you know how much evil there is in the world today. We want to redeem our time and redeem the evil that's in the world, redeem the media by putting things out that are hope-filled. Rather than being consumers of all this toxic stuff that's out there, 
all this caustic verbiage, why don't we spend a lot more time becoming contributors of hope? That's where some of this is coming from. It's the Bible teaching us what we ought to do to redeem the time. And we're being wise in the way we act toward outsiders. This is an outward reaching initiative to share hope. And we want outsiders who come across this, which I'm sure is gonna be multiplied as God gets behind it through his Holy Spirit. There are gonna be many other people who will be looking in at this and saying, these are really positive things. I feel better for having seen these kids doing that or for seeing this very positive hope-filled uh, hashtag. The hashtag is an important tool. The reason we have chosen a hashtag, I understand now because I'm so savvy with technology, is because it organizes thousands of contributions into one place. It's like a gigantic file cabinet in cyberspace. And every file that has sack lunch saints associated with it goes into that filing cabinet. So when I was first getting the idea for this uh, three or four weeks ago on my morning walk, and I think God was really giving me this concept, uh, I started thinking, wow, we could put the word out for videos and then we can do this and we can do that. And I thought, what if God multiplies this and we have thousands of videos? We can't process that many videos. We can't turn these videos into anything ourselves. So how could we do that? And then somebody suggested hashtag, duh. <laughs> By having the hashtag Sack Lunch Saints in the title of these contributions, that automatically links it together with all the other contributors around the world and they'll be updated every day so that as these grow into being thousands of contributions, if you're associated with that hashtag, if you're following that hashtag, you'll get to see all the new contributions coming in. I could see that as being something that we can really stimulate one another to good works, as the Bible would say, because as one group of people in one church reach what another church is doing to convey hope, it's going to give us ideas and we're going to be just really stimulating one another to good works in some really positive hope building ways. And then tag your friends. Uh, my daughter said, dad, all you have to do to get other people involved is just tag your friends. Uh, okay. <laughs> when you post your video, tag your friend and all you have to even do, you don't even have to type much in the way of an invitation, just say, join us. And they'll say, join what? That'll make them curious. They'll dive into uh, sack lunch saints and find out what it's all about. We're going to have a, a page on our, um, on our website that's going to be dedicated to Sack Lunch Saints. It'll have everything that they need for people to be able to go and look at it, and we'll have a lot of the information that I've just shared with you as well, so that if somebody wants to become a participant, they'll go right to our website. So I think that's going to be something that can really increase the amount of traffic to our website, which means that they'll find other resources available so we can share hope, because we have a number of ways to share hope there. But we really want us to be sharing hope in as many ways as we can, and then just document that by sharing how we shared hope on Sack Lunch Saints. Now, it may start with five little contribute, contributed, that's the uh, UK version, <laughs> contributions, and I don't know what the two fish would be, but anyway, it five little YouTube videos may be the only thing we come up with to start this thing. That's okay. The Bible says, do not despise these small beginnings. The Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Interestingly enough, I looked up the origins of that. That had to do with a guy whose name I love, Zerubbabel. I've been trying to get people to name their kids Zerubbabel. 
They just won't do it. But he was a great guy. And he helped lead the charge to rebuild the temple after the Babylonian exile from Israel. And the Lord doesn't despise small beginnings, and neither should we. It starts with a first step. And even just the first couple of contributions are really going to start this whole ball rolling, especially if we tag our friends and invite other people to start what we hope and pray is going to become a movement of hope literally around the world. Adults, here's what you can do. Support your kids. We want them to be the first, just like that little lad and his five loaves and two fish. We want our kids to be the first to start this initiative. I think it's going to show exactly what God does in fleshing out what we know is not just a story. It's not a fable. It's a real event in history when Jesus multiplied that little lad's gift. And then pray, 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 pray that God is going to show us different ways to share hope so we can really be about our vision, which hasn't changed, and then pray some more and then keep praying. Uh, we have a few of us instrumentalists, some of the musicians in our midst who have been working already on a little contribution, and uh, we're going to be putting together a virtual band and have a music video. In fact, this evening, we're going to invite all of you who are participating in that to bring your musical instrument with you. If you're a wind instrument, I wouldn't bring the piano. And bring that musical instrument with you to the church property at 730, because we're going to get some video of us to do some cameos for this music video that we're putting together. The rest of you all who want to pray, we're inviting you to come at eight o'clock and gather socially distant. We'll stand a few feet apart, but we know that UV rays are really good for killing viruses. So come on out this afternoon, eight o'clock on the church property. We're going to pray, pray, pray. And we're going to pray for God to expand our vision around the globe. Our vision is still the same. It hasn't changed. <laughs> Sack Lunch Saints is just one more method. It's one more way for us to continue the vision that God gave us several years ago. We're going to recognize everyone. Boy, don't we need to recognize everyone right now in this climate? People of every tone of skin color, because we're all one race, we're all from Adam's race. We need to affirm that everybody's made in the image of God, and we can communicate hope to those people all around the globe. All right, thank you for allowing me to introduce this initiative to you. There are going to be some other aspects of this that are going to be growing, especially as more people pour in their spiritual gifts to help make this happen, and we'll be keeping in touch with one another, including the fact that once we really get this hashtag growing, we'll be sharing more videos that will pop up on that hashtag, and you'll be able to see more updates. So be praying about that. We're just at the very beginning of our new journey through 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. We're extremely fortunate because sometimes God gives us lots of commentary in other portions of scripture, and he's done that, because in Acts chapter 18, if you have your Bible with you right there in, at home, I'd invite you to turn to Acts chapter 18, because we have a little more background to be able to get us really into the thick of 1 Corinthians. I know we, we made it so far last week in Corinthians. We made it all the way through verse 1. Today, we may make it a little farther than that. I think we're going to go a little farther than that, but we need to go over to Acts chapter 18 because just like we have an exposition in a good movie or in a good book, you need to know what some of the characters are doing and how they come into play. And that's exactly what we see in Acts 18. So here's a summary. If you're going to be looking at uh, Acts 18, 
you can follow along and skim through that, but I'm going to summarize, and a lot of this is going to be paraphrased so that I can work through it fairly quickly. We know that Paul left Athens, Greece. He went to Corinth. He met a couple named Aquila and Priscilla. He was a Jewish man and his wife. They had left Rome because Claudius, a.k.a., check this name out, Tiberius Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus. How's that for a name? The Roman emperor had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So that's what pushed Aquila and Priscilla out of Rome and caused them to go to Corinth. Paul, having developed the skills of a tent maker, stayed with this couple and worked right alongside them, helping pay for his own keep, so to speak. He reasoned in the synagogue week after week, trying to persuade Jews there and Greeks that Jesus was the Messiah and that he had risen from the dead. That was the gospel message. Death, burial, resurrection. Jesus is real. He's the promised Messiah. We need to follow him. He gives life in his name. He's the way to heaven. That was Paul's message. Simple but effective. Now notice that even though world events were crazy back then, and even though there was prejudice and political upheaval and a tyrant leader who pushed a, an entire people group out of Rome, God used all that. I think that's really encouraging for us to know because, man, hasn't our world been just turned upside down since about March? And yet I know that even as God propelled the gospel and started to spread it around the globe, he's going to do that, and he can do it right through Living Water Community Church, perhaps even through this simple little hashtag initiative called Sack Lunch Saints. I believe God's capable, and I think he even inspired us through an event that most people would have thought was horrible, but God can turn horrible situations into eternal purposes. Aquila and Priscilla factor very strongly into Paul's work in Corinth and in other places because they joined him in some of his missionary journeys. Now, even though we've been through months of changed lifestyles, God is already using these changes to put us in contact with other people that we might not have met because we wouldn't have been online or using certain technologies the way that we have been. I've reconnected with a few people that I hadn't reconnected with or haven't even connected with at all. Because of the lockdown, God has introduced me to new folks. In fact, I'm going to share a testimony for one uh, man that I met online. He has the same last name, so I'm pretty sure we're cousins. And uh, I had a good messenger chat with him just earlier in this week. I'm going to share his testimony. God did that. He did that through technology, and it, it's sort of this virus and this pandemic forced me to start reaching out in ways that I would not have reached out otherwise. Then we have Silas and Timothy coming to Corinth from Macedonia. They were helping with Paul. Paul really commends the Macedonian church a few times in the New Testament. So that must have been a really strong missionary sending church, just like Living Water is a strong missionary supportive and missionary sending church. Uh, the Jews became abusive. And so Paul left and said that he would go to the Gentiles. So what does Paul do? He walks right next door to the synagogue to Crispus's house. Who is Crispus? He just happens to be the synagogue leader. He could tell, I guess, that Crispus was being a little bit open to what Paul was sharing. So he went right into Crispus's house and started reasoning him with him. And Crispus became a Christian. 
So what happens when that happens? Well, they got to get a new synagogue leader because this guy has ceased to become like-minded with the Jews in the synagogue. So they need to replace Crispus. So who does Crispus get replaced by? This guy named Sosthenes. What happens to Sosthenes? Well, Paul reasons with him too, and he becomes a Christian. All these leaders, Paul keeps leading them to faith in Jesus Christ. So even though things were contentious and difficult, there was a lot of pushback. If they had social media back then, it would have been smoking for all the comments that were being made. That, that didn't stop Paul. He just kept putting out the positive gospel message and two very influential people right there in Corinth embraced the message and they placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Paul went on to stay there in Corinth for a year and a half teaching the word in relative obscurity. He knew that by planting that church and planting the word into these believers lives, there would be a strong central location that would wind up sending out a lot of people and spreading the gospel. This is something that I think grows out of that passage for us. I don't know about you, but I get discouraged when I've been praying for somebody and I really want them to come to faith in Christ. And I want them to because I care about them and I love them and I want them to be in heaven with me forever when that time comes. And they're just not open to the things of the gospel. So I just keep praying. And this reminds me, I need to keep praying for those, even those that I think are maybe the least likely to place their faith in Christ. Who would have thought that the synagogue leaders would have been the guys that would have converted to Christianity and to embrace Jesus Christ? Well, Paul would have thought that. And we need to not give up on folks. We need to keep praying. I've been praying for a couple of people that have been on my short list, on my walks, my early morning walks. And I'm praying, God, do something so supernatural and so spirit-led that they are gobsmacked and just filled with awe in such a way that they can't possibly explain what happened to them, their recognition, apart from a supernatural intervention by your Holy Spirit. And I'm praying that for a couple of people that are on my list. I'm going to keep praying it. If this can happen to Crispus and Sosthenes, it can happen to the people in our lives that we keep praying for. We need to share the hope of Jesus in as many ways so that some may be saved. Paul was the one who said that. We ought to be praying for God to give us creative methods, including things like sack lunch saints, creative ways to share in a winsome way the truth that we have in Jesus Christ. All this stuff happened in Corinth. And then look what happens when Paul's getting ready to leave uh, Corinth and he's going to travel somewhere else. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut. Isn't that great? I wonder if perhaps they'd had a lockdown situation. There. I, I don't think so. Uh, some people would be asking, well, why would that be necessary to even be put in there that he had his hair cut? Doesn't that seem like a minor detail? Well, some of you have been listening through some of the series that we've done, and you'll know that they had certain vows that would happen. And I think this may have been related to one of those Jewish vows similar to the Nazarite vow. Why would Paul have done that? I mean, he wasn't under the law any longer. I think that it has to do with the fact that Paul was seeking to do something to show that he was still respectful of the Jewish customs because he was trying to reach Jews in Corinth. He was the one who said, I've become like the weak to the weak so that some may be saved. I'm, I'm becoming like everybody so that some may come to faith in Christ. 
And I think the vow he took was probably a vow seeking to know more of God's will in his own life. And so he let his hair grow. And usually when they would cut the hair, that was at the end of the vow when the time of separation or consecration had been finished. So however long that was, if it was three months, his hair would probably be about like that. If it was only a month, maybe not quite that much, but he, he cut his hair before they left for that place. And I think that there may have been a few Jews in Corinth that saw him doing that and thought, I appreciate that. Paul, thank you for showing us that you respect us and you respect our customs. He says, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means, some may be saved. Now, the church had issues. We're going to find this out as we make our way through 1 Corinthians. Man, there was divisions. We're going to hit that next week, starting at about verse 10. We're going to see that some people were starting to elevate certain leaders over other leaders. And they would say, no, I follow this guy. I really like his teaching better. Others would say, no, Mark Elwell does such a great teaching in the book of Judges, and I'm going to choose him as my primary mentor. And, And Mark is really good. But fortunately, God has gifted us with many gifted Bible teachers at Living Water. So don't you go following Mark all the way, okay? All right, sorry, Mark. Immorality was rampant in the city of Corinth, and it was creeping into some people in the church there as well. There was a failure to respect authority. There was sort of a, a weird quasi-democracy that had started to develop in the church in Corinth so that they were questioning the authority of just about everybody, including Paul's apostolic authority. They were suing one another in public courts. This really ticked Paul off. He's thinking, who are you to take your disputes out in public that way? Can't you just hear some people talking to one another and saying, these Christians who are supposed to be loving one another to show that they're Christ's disciples are suing one another angrily in public court. And it was very public for them because they could literally go out to the city gate And with other people watching in, they could argue their case in front of lots of uh, bystanders. So this was not a good thing. This is not a way to develop the reputation that you would hope that the new early church would have developed. So a lot of issues there. In short, basically, they were messed up. And if you had the, the task of writing a letter to these folks, if you had to say, okay, what am I going to say to these people How can I word what I need to word? Because, man, I need to correct some of these issues in that church. How would you start? I can imagine that some people would probably use the two by four up the side of the head approach. And they would say, how dare you behave this way? That would be my first words if I were really angry and if I were ticked off and if I had, if they'd gotten on my last nerve, so to speak. But look what Paul does when he starts to speak in his first words to the letter in Corinth. First of all, he says, I, Paul, write to you, the people of Corinth called by God, and to Sosthenes, my brother. And then he says, verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those who are called in Christ Jesus, to those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, already you can sense there's a tenderness. There's a sense that he's treating these people as though these people who make up the bride of Christ, you're special to me and to God. You're called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord. There's a tenderness and an inclusiveness to these people. He hasn't said, who are you folks and have you lost your minds? He starts extremely tenderly that way. Grace and peace to you. Wow. Isn't that amazing? I just, I see this as being from a loving heart, from a guy who wants to just pour out his love to this group of people and let them know, 
I'm for you. I'm on your side. Now, I am going to have to say some things later in my letter that are going to be disciplinary in tone, but I want you to know I love you. I care for you. I'm for you. Now, listen as I read verses 4 through 9 and just let the words pour, pour over you. Paul says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. There's that word grace right off the top again. For in him, you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Isn't that grace-filled? Boy, oh boy, oh boy. I mean, it would have been so easy for Paul to have gone a different direction, but instead he commends them, he pours out grace, he pours out love, he points them to the God who is faithful even when they're not. I think he knew what a lot of people know today, Love starts and love finishes effective discipline. When teaching is involved so that people can grow because of that teaching, love has got to be at the root of all that discipline. And I commend often many of the parents that I know for doing a great job with this because they remind their child, I love you. That's why I'm disciplining you because I love you. Now, here's the discipline. Let me reiterate, I love you. This is what I hope you can learn. It's such a great process because when love is at the beginning and the end of all that, that kid's going to know, okay, I'm loved. And they love me enough to discipline me. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God Paul knew. And that's the kind of God he's representing to the people in Corinth. I told you I was going to share the story of this guy I met online. And it's an incredible story. His name is Dewey, Dewey Cawthorn. Great last name. And Dewey had said a few things earlier on that I had commented on because I was commending him every time he would post. It's been this many days since I've been clean and sober. It's been this many days, this many days. And he's done that several times. And I thought, this guy's got a story. I need to find out what his story is. So I messaged him this week and said, Dewey, would you mind sharing how you find hope? Where does your hope come from? And oh boy, he uh, you know, that you're scrolling and you're scrolling and you're scrolling. He gave this wonderful testimony. So I'm going to read it to you with his permission. He said, oh, yeah, share it. If somebody can be uh, pointed toward Christ because of this story, absolutely. To God be the glory. So this is Dewey's story. I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness. My grandmother on my father's side was a wholeness preacher. So I had a lot of Bible teaching in my background. There were gospel songs sung, lots of good four-part harmony. When I was a teenager, I fell away, and I mean fall. I fell hard. Two wives, two divorces, and two returns to the Lord later, followed by one more backsliding event, and I finally hit bottom. I was arrested in 2012, along with the woman who would become my third wife, and they're still married today. We cost our families a lot of grief and an awful lot of money because of the stuff we were going through. 
we were allowed out of jail on a $100,000 bond each. She asked me, what are we going to do now that we're out of jail? And he said, the only thing I knew to tell her was the only thing that came to mind. And that is, we need to give this to God. And we did. And glory to God, he showed up big time. It took us one year and three months to work our way through the court proceedings and finally arrive at the sentencing through drug court that we were dreading. The district attorney, attorney at that time, and we knew he was no one to be trifled with, he wanted us to serve 10 years for our drug offenses because we had been on some hard drugs, but that didn't happen. This is one of the miracles that God performed for us. From the day we were arrested, we went without drugs and we have never even had withdrawals. And he says, and I know that others have very different stories, but we haven't even had cravings or urges. And he said, there's even a guy that sells drugs right down the street from us. We've not been tempted, not even once. Our addictions vanished. He said, that's only for God. I can't give anybody else the credit for that. We didn't do it. God just removed it. We found a good church. We began to dig deep into the word of God. We volunteered at our church because we'd lost our jobs. So we had lots of time on our hands. And we just volunteered to try to do anything we could to help out. And I owed thousands of dollars to the bondsman and for my court fees. And I had no way to pay these things. We prayed daily and we said, God, we're going to give you what we've got, even though it seems little. Does that sound familiar? We had made small payments, sometimes just $50 each. And that just seemed like a drop in the bucket. Every time we showed up, they would gratefully take our $50. And I knew it was going to be a lifetime to pay off what we owed. It took us three and a half years, but we graduated from the drug court with a clean record. Praise God. He said, I've never heard of any other couple that did that. And he said, and by the way, I married that lady after we had been arrested. Shortly after we got out of jail, I married her and we made it legal. He said, one day I went to make my $50 payment. And he told me that my debt had been paid in full. <laughs> to this day, I don't know who did that. He said, that was a God thing. It's such grace. It was so huge. It was beyond my imagination how much money that was. And somebody paid it in full. God works in the most amazing, mysterious ways, he says. And then he says, it took a few years, but together, bit by bit, in putting God first in our lives, we're completely out of debt. And I mean completely. So if you were to ask me, Dewey says, how did you find God? I would say, I found him when I finally gave up on trusting myself. Instead, I let go and started trusting God. Isn't that amazing? God's love changed Dewey. He said, it was God's love that drew me to repentance. When I found out how much he loved me and how much he was showing grace to me when I really didn't deserve it, I just really wanted to change. I wanted to serve him. Because if somebody loved me that much, why would you not want to serve him? Why would you not want to just love him back? Well, Paul's method was to discipline through love, and he did so. And we're going to see some of that coming up in the rest of 1 Corinthians. But his instruction was so that the people could learn and grow. I remember a guy when I had my short-lived stint working for a full-service service station the year Joy and I got married. It was in Michigan. 
And I only worked there for a few months because then we moved back to Arizona. But it was one of those where you have to go out and pump the people's gas and uh, squirt off their windshield, clean their windshield, check their oil. And then I did other odd jobs around the place. And one time I was trying to change a tire and the bolt wouldn't come off. So I just cranked up the pneumatic uh, drill thingy. <laughs> I'm so technical. <laughs> and I, I just thought, I'm just going to give it more power and strip the bolt off. But the guy was so good about it. He said, well, did you learn a lesson? I said, yeah. He said, good. Then that was an effective lesson. See, he didn't chastise me. He didn't berate me. He didn't make me feel small. He just said, that was, that was a good lesson. Paul knew that if he could teach in such a way that these people could get it, they could learn from it, then they wouldn't have to repeat that same mistake the next time around. I really appreciate that about him, and we can see that. We can also see it in the book of Romans when we're reading from what Paul wrote to that group, too. He had a very simple strategy. It was so simple. Preach the word and plant the church. Just preach the word, plant the church. Folks, as we think about outreaching with our vision to communicate hope, we need to remember this. Preach the word. If the word is central to everything we're doing to communicate hope, if it's growing out of the word, if all of our hope-filled posts and YouTube videos and everything that we're doing to try to become producers of hope, uh, propagators of hope, rather than consumers of all the caustic stuff that's going around there, make sure that the word is the basis for everything that we're doing. You can't go wrong. That was Paul's strategy. Preach the word, plant the church. That's why he stayed there for another 18 months, because he was planting, 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 making sure they were strong in that foundation. That's what Paul did. So why was he so confident in these people, even though the church were just so messed up? Why was he confident? And why could he say to them, you're still going to be firm. God's going to show up on the day of the Lord. You're still going to be presented blameless before him. How could he say that when they still had so much repentance to do and they still had so many things to try to fix in that church because he was confident in God? That's where he was placing his confidence, folks. That's where I've been placing my confidence in this whole initiative for sack lunch saints. Yeah, if it were just me in my feeble human spirit, I'd be thinking, wow, this feels pretty paltry. I don't have a lot of faith in myself. I don't have a lot of faith in three or four or five YouTube videos. I have a lot of faith in God. The same, the same God that God used, the same God that Paul trusted to be able to plant this church in Corinth and to send out missionaries all around the world, the same God that multiplied those loaves and fish for the little lad, he hadn't changed. It's the same God. So folks, even though what little feeble things God prompts you to do, if you follow through on those things, he's going to use them. If you pass somebody in the street and he prompts you to say a quick word, to build hope into somebody, or to share just a quick winsome word that's a testimony, even simple thing like have a blessed day, People pick up on little cues like that sometimes. Whatever it is that he's prompting us to do, if it's born out of scripture, and if we're planted firmly like a tree planted by the river, our roots are going deep down into that living water, the same God is going to be faithful to bring hope into other people's lives and to propagate it around the world because God is faithful and he's capable. Let's trust him. I just urge you to trust him as we Try to really reach around the world with hope. 
I'd like to lead us in a benediction now. Uh, Dr. Pipe has been involved in an international conference this morning, and it was going to be in another country. He's in another country virtually, probably several countries if I know anything about these conferences. So let me lead you in the benediction today. Now the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.